This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. After the World Cup break, the Clarets picked up where they left off with a comfortable 3-0 win over mediocre championship opposition. This is the No Name Ever podcast. No Good evening and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. Uh, you'll have noticed that I'm not Natalie Bromley. She can't be with us today. Um, feeling a bit under the weather. Um, I think with unconfirmed reports that it might be a severe case of promotion fever, but we'll uh, we'll come on to that in a bit. So I'm joined by the erudite Richard Steele, uh, fresh from a trip to Loftus Road, uh, which saw the Clarence claim another great three points. How are we doing, Rich? You all right? Yeah, very good, Tom. And, and yourself? Yes, very well, thank you. Um, sort of getting back into the, putting my championship head back on now, the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, I, I found it quite hard to think about watching England in a, World Cup quarter-final and then watching Burnley play QPR in a league game. But I think uh, in terms of that, England getting knocked out has made it a bit easier to, to, to transition. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm back in the groove now after that performance on Sunday. Yeah, you know, it was a, it was almost a strange feeling at Loftus Road. It was a game I was really looking forward to. It was a new ground for me. Um, and there's only two I've not done in the Championship now, Luton and, and Cardiff. Hopefully get to Luton this season. You could almost tell there was a little bit of a hangover from, you know, from the World Cup. Obviously, just being the evening before, you know, England playing well, getting knocked out, disappointedly, came missing that pen, a lot of what, what ifs, and especially at half twelve kickoff, no, one o'clock kickoff, sorry. So yeah, a little bit cold, but yeah, the Clavers definitely uh, warm the old cockles up and you know, romped to a pretty comfortable victory in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of warming up, then um, before the, before we got into the swing of things, uh, there was. I think there was 15 seconds on the clock when the, the most the, the most sort of notable refereeing incident perhaps of the game occurred. Uh, the uh, winger, I think his name is Thomas, so I'm not, not familiar with him. Uh, apologies to Thomas. But he, uh, he skipped round Murich uh, and went down. No penalty given. What was your thoughts on that? The initial yeah, just... viewing in the away end and then perhaps... Oh, yeah. Well, from where we were sat... Uh... Sorry, Tom. So where we were sat in the away end we was on the second to the back row and you're already in the upper tier so we had a fantastic view of it um unlike maybe some other people at qpr with the restrictive view but uh, to me I'd, i was just expecting the um keeper to point to the spot i think it was in a situation where it was, you know i'm glad there's no var in the championship for numerous reasons 
Uh, but on that occasion, I was, you know, I was, I was very glad because even as comfortable as the game was, if QPR get an get an get an early goal and get the crowd up, you know, it does change the game. You, especially after not playing for so long, I think it's one of them where we know Murich is. I think he's getting better and better, but he he still can make rash decisions, comes off his line sometimes, and and gets caught. And he's just took him out. I said, there's no point trying to defend it. Really, it is a it, it is a penalty. And we got and we got away with one and yeah, there's not much else you can say really, is there? But yeah, I think we definitely got away with one there. Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, the the guy's clever. Like he, he can see Murich is coming. He's knocked it around him, and he's waiting for the contact. And like you say, Murich is a bit similar to the Wigan penalty that he gave away, just a bit too rash in coming out when he doesn't really need to. Um, and I, I think that's maybe why the ref didn't give it because because the touch to take it away from Murich was so heavy. But yeah, we definitely got away with one there. Um, and then that moves us on nicer then, as you say. From there, we were looking quite comfortable. Tala could have scored, you know, 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Um, but we're stroking the ball around, keeping it. And then we break the deadlock with uh, perhaps what was another contentious refereeing decision. Again, be good to get your view from the away end, first of all. And then, having seen it back, did you think that was a free kick on Cork? Well, at the time, obviously, you're so far away when you're watching the opposite side. It does look a foul the way Cork's jinked in and, in, and, in and out of the plays, but I think that's an even worse decision by the referee than the penalty. It's just, I don't like to use the word dive, maybe because that's a Burnley player and it's Jack Cork. If that was, um, you know, maybe like Will Sahar or something, you would be saying it's a blatant dive. But even Cork's admitted to the referee himself and after the game that it wasn't a foul. So I always look at it from. If we was QPR in that situation with that penalty and that free kick and you're 1-0 down after 15 minutes or so, you know, you're, you're not happy. But I think, like you said, you've got to take nothing away from Gunmanson. What a fantastic free kick that was. When you're seeing him and Brownell uh, standing over the, over it, for me, you you know, you're only wanting one man to take that. And with Scotty Twine looming on the bench, I think they probably knew that they're not going to be on free kicks for much longer if, when, he, when he gets on. And yeah. Just a great view in the away end. Just watch it curl round. And I think I might be wrong. I've watched it a couple of times back. Does it hit the goalie's towel in the right, right in the side net? And I think it just makes it look better. Um, you know, you see how delighted Gunmanson was. Ran straight to company. And I've seen the drone footage on Twitter this week of Gunmanson scoring a similar free kick. And I think in his celebration, he was almost as surprised as anybody that it actually went in. Uh, but, you know, Gunmanson has been a fantastic player for us. Been really unlucky with injuries, and listen, he's not the player he was, and he, and you're not going to be as you get older in injuries. But he's such a lovely player to watch. I really en- enjoy watching Gunnarsson play. Really classy. Um, we've got a lot of exciting wingers who can beat players, but he's someone who's touch, his movement, his control of the ball. Got a you know got a lovely left foot on him. So yeah, it was fantastic to see him score that goal, and he scored two really nice goals this season. I know you was at Birmingham, so you probably had a really good view of that one uh, but yeah thankfully this time it was in a winning cause and yeah it just set us up really well uh, for the you know for the game then yeah absolutely I, I really like um that we've got so much out of Goodmanson this season obviously the last few years have been very injury hit you almost sort of write him off you don't think of him as uh, as one of the wingers that are in the squad you know we've got we've, as you say we've brought in some really good ones but I think he's contributed a lot I think what you get with Goodmanson that you perhaps don't get with some of the other lads we've brought in is you get stuck in um he challenges 50-50s. You see him drift in quite a lot, but he'll, some of the challenges he wins, uh, one that springs to mind is uh, Sunderland away. He just wins this little 50-50 yeah. in the middle of the park. The ball breaks to Zorori and then he cuts inside and bends it in the top corner. But I think that's an underrated part of his game. Um, 
I think that's probably why he gets injured so much as well. Is is because he goes in for these fifty fifties, which and he's only a you know he's a he's not a big six foot centre midfielder. You know he's a he's a bit more frail, but he's uh, it's it's a part of his game that definitely contributes as well. And uh, and like yeah. you say, get the line right. Could I ask you a question on this then, Tom, to switch the roles around? As with obviously with 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 Dice, maybe different training methods. Do you think maybe Dice's training methods were too tough for Gunmanson or like we used to get a lot of muscle injuries and we and we've not seen to get anywhere near the amount of injuries this season. Really, obviously Twine's a longer term one, but yeah, Gunmanson's just pretty much been plain sailing and fit all the way through. So do you think he's maybe managed better this season through it, or or it's just a complete coincidence? I think there's probably a, a little bit of all of that in it. Um... Probably, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't spend every uh, every day of the week down at Goldthorpe. I don't know what the intensity of training is like. Oh, it's just interesting, isn't it? But you'd say, like, I would say in the defence of that, you know, McNeil didn't used to get injured very much. He used to play every game and he's the same kind of build, the same kind of position. So, uh, I, from what I remember with Gamunson, he was really unlucky in that he'd get one injury and then that would go and then he'd get another one. It wasn't the same injury over and over. So, perhaps there's a, there is a bit of luck in it. But I think as well... Um, now we've got a bit more depth in that position. We can afford to change in that. I think he, his company's managed his minutes really well as well. So there's definitely something in the management of it for me. Yeah, you know, definitely. He's not playing 90 minutes every week. Uh, and maybe if he was having to, like, you, you know, in the Prem, realistically, there was a you know a couple of seasons where Eric Peters was third-choice winger. So, you know, not being in that scenario now um, probably makes it a bit easier to, you know, to rotate him sensibly as well. Um Oh, yeah, I think probably a, a mix of all things there. So, yeah, a cracking goal for Gunmanson. Very very nice to see him on the score sheet. And uh, another player who got his second goal of the season, uh, just before half-time, Ian Matson. Uh, the finish, you know, it looks an easy finish because he's got an open goal, but the technique to it that first time from your full-back is, is just tremendous. And the time the goal came, I think that pretty much finished the game as a, as a contest. What, what were your thoughts? Yeah, just on a technical level, it's an absolute lovely finish. And like you said, it's an open goal, but the ball's coming at it, you know, it, at speed. And he's got to think about readjusting his body. And he's still got to hit it across the goalkeeper because I think if he hits it to the near post, the goalie gets up and saves it. And it's just a lovely bit of technical ability. I don't think anybody can doubt about Matson is that is his, is his technical ability. You know, he's, he's a fantastic, lovely footballer to watch. Really nice talent. At times, he's a little bit suspect defensively but you know you you know we're talking about Sean Dyche here and you know Vitinho's had the shot and Vit and uh, Matson scored and there's been times this season where Matson's crossed the ball and Vitinho's I think it was against was it against Swansea where Matson put a great ball in and Vitinho headed it at the back post. So um I know Vitinho scored two and one against Millwall. But yeah it's just really it's really nice to see that front foot playing and even so close to half time that we're still wanting to get that second goal. We're not just happy to knock it about you know, and sit back and go in, uh, you know, with a 1-0 lead. And essentially then, QPR, I didn't think they were, they were great all game, but, and you can never say never, but I felt the game was done then at 2-0. Even though they put a little bit more pressure on us in the second half, I, I felt overall we were really comfortable. So, yeah, lovely finish. And, yeah, it's just great to see the two fullbacks combining because, you know, you look at that, it just gives you so many more attacking dimensions throughout the pitch. Yeah, we've got goals all through the team. I mean, you think for what Taylor, Loughton, Bardsley, how many goals have they scored between them? You know, the, the fullbacks that we had prior. Has Taylor even scored for Burnley? I don't think, I don't think in the league. So. I'd be surprised if he'd had a shot, to be honest. 
<laughs> um, yeah, well, like you say, the, the, the amount of goals we've got in the full back positions now compared to the last few seasons is mad. And I, I know we, we spoke then about how, how we sort of controlling the game at that point and it looked game over at 2-0. You, uh, you pulled out a tremendous stat for me earlier, um, talking about the midfield three. And I think we saw, especially in the first half, that that was what was giving us control of the game, the interchange of, of positions and, and the passing. And uh, yeah, hit us with that stat because it, it was one stat man Dave would have been pleased with. Oh, it's all right, Tom. I thought you was going to use it, but um, yeah, I think so. When Cork, uh, Cullen, and Brownell have started, um, we've you know we've not lost the game. Um, we've oh, obviously our two losses. Uh, Watford away and Cork didn't start that one. Uh, we started Bastion. I think that experiment won't, won't start again if Cork's fit. And then um, obviously Sheffield United, Brownell was suspended, so we so we didn't play. And those three in midfield, they're absolutely superb. I just love watching them play. It's an absolute. I think at the start of the season, it was a little bit static at times, you know, maybe while well, we're getting used to each other. But recently, it's been fantastic to watch. They're so fluid, comfortable in possession. And that midfield three, there's not a better one in the championship. I think when they're playing well, nobody can nobody can touch them. And what I really like about all three, and even Cullen, who's a little bit, you know, more diminutive, you know, they still really get stuck into and do the, you know, and do the dog work. It's not like they're just tidy passes and they, you know, and they, and they don't do the hard yards. So I... It's, you know, for me, I think Zaruri, Patella, you know, get the headlines, Benson, obviously now. But I think consistently that that midfield three, Cork, Cullen and Brown, sets up a lot of our wins. And, you know, it's just been great to see Cork, you know, play week in, week out. And I know the Premier League's a different level and it's a different beast, but it does make you wonder why you played so few games last season. Um, so, yeah. Hopefully the viewers enjoy that that stat anyway. I just thought of it off the top of my head. I did. There's no research into that one. It's just all right. It just could just come to me. No, I didn't. <laughs> if, if, but if I'd have father for the amount of research I do for this podcast, then I'd be a very <laughs> sure it comes across. Uh, so just before we go on to the third goal as well, um, you mentioned there that Brownhill, Cork and Cullen Actis, uh, the best in the league. But we've, we've touched on the fact that Chilling off and Twine uh, are coming back into the pitch now. They've both got some minutes at the end of the game. Uh, what do you think? Uh, do you see either of them staking a claim to start? I thought before he got injured, Chilling off looked more impressive than Zuri and Benton to, to start with. And obviously Twine, we paid a lot of money for him. He was best player in League One last year. The, the obvious place to play him is where Brownhill's playing currently. Do you see either of them you know, staking a claim for that first team place or, or getting in there in the near future? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, we need, you've got the Christmas period coming up, haven't we, with, with that Man United game in between. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be hard. I think Twine's ideal position will be where Brown will play, and he's a very different type of number 10. You know, there's still games this season where you think, yeah, a Twine type player would help us because teams are still going to come to 10 men and sit behind the ball a lot. I didn't, you know, QPR and Blackburn, our last two opponents, have tried to play out a little bit, which just isn't the way to go against us. If you try and do that, we'll absolutely kill you. Um, I expect, I, I don't know what to expect with Middlesbrough and Carrick, but yeah, so I def, I don't see why they can't state claims in the, in the team. Like I said, Churlinoff to me looks a real talent, actually. He's a bit stronger than the other wingers we've got, a bit more direct, but he's still very raw, is what I would say, like some of our other players. But you look at that bench on, on Sunday, Tom, and that's without Zaruri. And, you know, it, it's, we've got a really deep squad. And we've got so many options to bring off the bench to rest and to rotate. I don't think it'll be in the next two or three games at them to a start, but I think, you know, maybe towards January time, they'll definitely start staking a, a place in the team. And I'm pretty sure moving, for, I'm, 
I'd be surprised if we don't add another striker to it in January. I think Dervis Ogley will go back to Brentford and then maybe else elsewhere from what I read. Uh, and I know Fenerbahce are interested. So I think we'll add another quality striker. And then, you know, the options we've got and the riches, you know, like you said, we've gone from having Peter's third choice winger to having so many of these lads that we can choose and select and rotate, maybe depending on opponent too. And when you've got someone like Benson coming off the bench when you're 3-0 up, that, that's actually frightening. Imagine being an opposite fan thinking, bloody hell, we're 3-0 down, we've got Benson running at us. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really exciting moving forward. Yeah, I mentioned that on, on Twitter and, and someone replied to me and said, uh, it's a bit like when we play Man City and they take like Bernardo Silva off and bring Kevin De Bruyne on. This just isn't fair. Must be our, our QPR fans helping the show and coming on. Yeah. Uh, so last thing, probably there's not a lot to say. I don't think really about the game because we were just so dominant and so comfortable. It was one before the game. You thought you thought it might be a bit up in the air with them having a new manager and the fact we'd had a break, but we picked up where we left off. I just wanted to touch on Nathan Teller's goal. Um, good to see him back among the goals. We've been a little bit without. Uh, the thing that really springs to mind for me, obviously, it's a re- again a really good finish, similar to matching, you know, tight angle, and he takes it really well. But did he see well, after he scored the the a sort of pit is there, it, like in front of him? The, yeah, that big hole. Yeah, <laughs> what's what that about? Well, like, it it, how, it, how it almost out? seemed like there was like some cover, and it wasn't there, or it wasn't covering it. If you watch it back, and yeah, like he's done. To be fair to him, he's done very well to avoid that. If that's, you know, Ashley Barnes who can't move too well these days, he's going straight down it, isn't he? Yeah. Um, it's like something I imagine from Takeshi's Castle where you've got to, like, avoid it and jump over it. But, yeah, it's a great finish, weren't it? I know Jimmy Dunn, ex-Burnley player, you know, to think that Jimmy Dunn and Kev Long were starting for us in the Prem during the start of that last lockdown with Bardsley left-back and Peter. Sorry, Bardsley right-back and Peter's left-back, Jesus. And, yeah, you know, that's what Teller is. He plays on the shoulder. He can be a tad frustrating at times, Teller. I find with his decision making a little bit, you can you you know you can tell why South Southampton's letting him out on on loan. But he's, I think Teller's at his best when he's instinctive, when he when he doesn't have to think about it. Like you're seeing that chance he has after 30 seconds because he's got all the time in the world. He just sits it straight back at the keeper. But that one, he's gambled, read it, and the finish is absolutely superb. I don't, I don't know how, how he's how he's really got it in from that angle. And, you know, and that makes a really enjoyable 20, 25 minutes then where you can just have a little sing-song, enjoy the game. And I know you said the game was comfortable, but I think we actually managed it better, Tom. I think there's times this season when we've been winning and we've still been playing like gung-ho, silly, bombing forward as fast as we can. And I think there was time. I did notice that Matson wasn't overlapping as much at 2-0. I don't know if that shows on the telly quite the same, but he was just holding back a little bit. And I'm more than happy with that. And, but like I said, I thought, I think if we just get that little bit of game management as well, I think we'll be a really difficult side to beat. Um, so, yeah, and it was just like, like you said, it was just a, after the England game, after not playing for so long, it was just a really nice, you know, way, way, you know, way back. And it just, it didn't like, I, I never felt too high after the game. I wasn't like driving home, like, oh, absolutely buzzing. It just felt like a real good, satisfying job done. Do you know when you've just done a good job, you know, good, good day of work and you're happy with what you've done and you can enjoy your tea? That's what it felt like, really. Yeah, yeah. It was, I think <clears throat> there's a certain level of expectation now that we maybe didn't have earlier in the season, but we are right yeah. the expectation as well. We just look so good at the minute. It's really hard to see us finishing outside the top two. I don't know if you saw, um, Natalie did a piece with uh, Sky recently. It was I did say, yeah, it was very good. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah, well, she came across very well, I thought. What they were talking there, and at the end, they asked, 
all the fans around the table. So there was there was Burnley and Sheffield United, Watford, and then somehow a Blackburn fan had sneaked in there. I don't know what he was doing at promotion. Why has a Blackburn fan got on that table? Jesus. They were only going one, one way. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the, the other clubs fans there seem to think that we'd be dropping out the top two. And I just think they can't. I think they must have only watched the Sheffield United game in the last few weeks because that aside, we're just we're looking serious at the minute. The Watford fan actually said that he thought they'd, they'd go above us. When he said that, they were eight points behind us and uh, we've played one game since and they're now ten points behind us. So I, I'd be very surprised. I'd be very surprised at this juncture. But as you say, yeah. just feels routine at the minute. It just feels like we're sort of picking these wins up without getting out of their gear. You, you know, you never know with football. Funny things happen. You know, we could get a, you know, a real spade of injuries, but... You know, you look at it in Zaruri, who's a lad who's probably been our, in the last few weeks, our star player, wasn't even in the squad. And we didn't miss him at all. And I think that just tells you about the, the depth we've got. I still, people are going to criticise me for this. And I know, and I think Charlotte will criticise me. I know Barnes did very well against Blackburn, but I think if it would, I think when Rodriguez doesn't play, I think we do miss him a lot. Even though just he's just still got that class and guile up front, but you know, yeah, we're just looking just really imperious. And I think, you know, at the start of the season, Tom, there wasn't, you know, you was going into games, kind of enjoying the football, but we wasn't winning and it was frustrating. Where now there is just like, you can see we, we've we've almost learned how to win. And, yeah, no, we, 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 we're just in our stride really well. Going back to a game, I don't know if you went to it. Oh, yeah, I think you went to it, but that Coventry away, mm. where, you know, you, you're not, like you've seen Coventry on a decent run at the moment. And then, you know, we was 1-0 up and that was on the back of a lot of one-all draws and a lot of late goals conceded and we've hung on a little bit and that seemed to give us the springboard and I think we've won like 8 out of 9 or 7 out of 8 only that blip against Sheffield and it's, like I said, it, it's just, you know, you've really got that excitement feeling to go to games knowing that you're going to watch a team who, for one, gives gives everything that's really important uh, but who also play really nice football. And one of my concerns was when we're signing all these new lads left, right and centre is how they would gel. And you can tell there's a real camaraderie and team spirit at the moment and that's as pleasing as, as anything else. Yeah, definitely. There was an interview with uh, Bettino on the club channel the other day and he was talking about the, the camaraderie and the spirit and that was something that Sean Dyche was brilliant at harnessing and you thought, you know, with a lot of new arrivals and the fact that it's been pulled from all four corners of the globe, that was going to be quite hard to replicate. But it does seem to be there. And obviously, when you're playing in a, a good team and a winning team, that helps as well. So It does. Yeah. It does, yeah. It's looking good. It's looking good at the minute, Touchwood. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Picture the scene. All of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So that brings us nicely on to, hopefully, another enjoyable Saturday. Uh, we're up against Middlesbrough this Saturday. 
uh, now managed by, not by Chris Wilder anymore, by Michael Carrick. It's quite an interesting, similar kind of appointment to ours, really. Um, sort of a left field choice, a former player, um, sort of working his way up. Um, and they seem to be in, in better form since he's taken over. It's going to be a difficult game. Um, before we go into that in more detail, um, as part of the preview show, as you know, we have a quiz question. And it was quite a difficult one in the last one. Uh, so way back in 1946-47, on the way to reaching the FA Cup final, Burnley, then of the second division, beat three top-flight opponents, Aston Villa, Middlesbrough and Liverpool. However, since then, Burnley have only beaten six top-flight teams in the FA Cup whilst we were at the top flight. So obviously the situation we're in now. And Dave asked you, how many of those teams could you name? Uh, looking at the list, I went to four of these games and I probably could still couldn't have told you all four. Uh, did you have any ideas, Rich? Uh, how many do you get out of the six? Oh, God, I'd actually need time to digest it and probably write it down. Is I don't know, Tottenham won? No, nah, League Cup, I think. We that was top. in the League Cup. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out to think about that. Oh, Liverpool, of course, Jimmy Traore. That's the classic one. Um, yeah. That was a, the one thing I remember from that game is how bad the pitch was compared to what you see now. Because <laughs> obviously, it, was, it, it had been in January, I presume, so a third round game. God, that's a hard question. Like, like um, you know, I could start randomly naming teams and, and boring everyone, but no, the only one I actually properly know without really thinking about it would be Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool. Um, one that that jumped out for me was Derby away in 2000 because uh, I was a, <coughs> a schoolboy in Derby then, um, getting mercilessly teased the week the whole build up to that game that we were going to get battered we all won nil Andy Cook scored and uh, it was very enjoyable mundane school after that so that one uh, that one sticks in my mind uh, the others that was in yeah, 2000 uh, sorry 99 uh, the others as I say uh, Birmingham in 1979 Stoke in 1980 a bit too young for either of those uh, Fulham in 2003 I think you remember that one uh, we drew 1-1 and that was at Loftus Road actually when Fulham were playing there uh, 1-3 now I remember Drissi Diallo scored and everyone had those. Uh, do you remember Facundo Sava had those, that little mask? Yeah, that mask. I don't yeah. remember the game, but I do remember Facundo Sava. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone had those masks because he was playing for Fulham. 3-0 that was. And then the other one was West Brom, 2009. That was in the... Uh, oh, I went to that too. Yeah, yeah. That was the Saturday after we lost to Tottenham. Yeah. That, no, I think, if memory serves, I think the, we drew at the Hawthorns in, in, and we beat him at the turf in a replay. I think mm-hmm. I only went for one at the Hawthorns, yeah. Graham Alexander scored a penalty and then Martin Patterson scored right near the end. And we beat him and beat him in a replay. Well, I didn't go to oh, okay. Stephen Thompson scored it. Well, there you go. Those are the answers. Uh, I don't think we had anyone who got all six. Um, fair play to you if you did. Or I think I think probably three or four is a good par score on that one. Hopefully something a little bit easier at the end of this one. We'll see. So, uh, Middlesbrough, as I say, uh, and let me introduce Statman Dave, the star of the, the preview show, and he's going to give you a rundown now of the championship head-to-head record between Burnley and Middlesbrough. Saturday's match marks the midpoint of the current league season, as we will have played exactly half of our 46 games by 5pm on Saturday afternoon. We've played all of the other 22 teams once, and so Middlesbrough are the only team we haven't faced yet in 2022-23. Burnley and Borough have spent 30 league seasons together in the same division before the current campaign. Most of those, 19, were in the top flight, but we're going to take a closer look at the 11 previous second-tier meetings at Turf Moor. 
There were two second-tier matches at Turf Moor between the two teams just after the turn of the 20th century. Burnley won 2-0 in September 1900, and then we came from behind twice to draw 2-2 in November 1901. We then jumped forward to the 1970s, and there was an emphatic 5-2 home win in November 1971, which the Burnley Express described as a tonic win at the right time. Leighton James scored two of Burnley's nap hand of goals in that match. The following season saw the two teams play out a goalless draw in September 1972, a game which Captain Martin Dobson missed through injury. There was just one second-tier meeting at Turf Moor during the 1980s, and that was another draw in January 1983. Derek Scott put the Clarets ahead just before the break, but Dave Shearer scored an equaliser past Billy O'Rourke in the second half to make it 1-1. The next match on our list was the only one for the 1990s, and that resulted in a heavy 3-0 home defeat as John Hendry netted a hat-trick for Brian Robson's side. Burnley's Wayne Dowell was also sent off just after the break in that game for his second yellow card, both for fouls on Borough's Alan Moore. The remaining five matches on our list have all taken place since 2011. Jay Rodriguez, Wade Elliott and Michael Duff helped Burnley to a 3-1 win in April 2011. But the Clarets have failed to win any of the most recent four second-tier home games against Middlesbrough since then. As well as a 2-0 Burnley defeat in September 2011, the two teams played out another goalless draw in February 2013, and the visitors came away with all three points with a 1-0 win in April 2014 through Jacob Butterfield, despite going down to 10 men with a late dismissal of Daniel Ayala. There's one more match we haven't mentioned the result of, but we'll come to that very shortly when we look back at our memory match feature. Overall, Burnley have won three, drawn five and lost three of our previous 11 second-tier home games against Middlesbrough. And we know we're going to be in for another tough test this weekend. Okay, thank you very much for that, Dave. Moving on then to the play for both section. Um, a bit larger than, we've, than some of the other ones we've had and some quite surprising, interesting names on this one as well. Uh, Rich... What, who springs out to you when you look at that list? Well, one 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 current player is Connor Roberts. I, I didn't know he played for the Middlesbrough until well, Dave sent it in. I think he played one game on loan for Swansea. I'm assuming Swansea was in the Prem. But yeah, the, there's only one man I'm going to say there, and that's Andre Amagu, BK, the man, the myth, the legend. And I'm, he put in one of the all-time great Premier League performances when we beat Birmingham at home. When he when he when he scored a goal rampaging from midfield, but yeah, there's a few good ones is in the Tom. So, but yeah, he's my standout pick. Yeah, that backflip as well, tremendous. Yeah, yeah. The one for me, I thought you were going to say Ben Gibson actually in his Middlesbrough. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's something like greatest ever comment on the podcast, that, isn't it? Yeah. So. Try and forget about Ben Gibson if we can. Yeah, to be fair, I forgot about him. Yeah. I think yeah, uh, the two that really stand out for me as being sort of big players at both clubs, um, Gary Parkinson. A lot of games for both yeah. teams, obviously. Well, well thought of and well remembered even now by both sets of fans. And uh, and Andy Payton, perhaps not as much of a Middlesbrough legend, but certainly at Birmingham, you know, someone that uh, that's that's thought of fondly by everybody and remembered by everybody. Uh, but the personal one for me was was Marlon Beresford, um, because I can remember as a kid, or I probably would have been about seven or eight, Walsall away, and this was back in the days before uh, you know the internet and 
if, if we wanted to get news from where we were in Derby about Burnley, we'd have to ring up Club Call and pay two quid a minute. <laughs> uh, didn't even get the local papers, of course. And we, so we rocked up to the Bescot, um, expecting to see Marlon Beresford in nets. And it was only then that we found out that he'd been sold to Middlesbrough. And as, as a kid, I, I was absolutely heartbroken by that. Chris Wood's warming up. Where's, where's Marlon? Oh, he's gone. So... Yeah, so when I think of Middlesbrough, that's one that sticks in my mind, actually. Marlon, Marlon Beres has been spirited away. But there you go. Yes, quite a few um, recently who've, who've uh, not really pulled up any trees for either. Nathaniel Chalabar, Patrick Bamford. Yellow Vossen. Yellow Vossen, God, yeah. That's uh, he's one that you'd definitely forget if it wasn't on that list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, some, some, uh, yeah, some unusual ones in recent times. There you go. Um so, moving on then to a memory match. Uh, I think this is a game that everybody will remember very well. Um, take it away, Dave. We could have chosen one of Burnley's three second-tier home wins for our memory match this week. But instead, we've chosen a draw, but one which felt very much like a win. The match in question took place in April 2016. Despite Burnley remaining unbeaten during the second half of the season following a heavy Boxing Day defeat at Hull City, our excellent run appeared to be in jeopardy when the league leaders and one of two main promotion rivals rocked up to Turf Moor for a memorable Tuesday night game under the Turf Moor floodlights. After a goalless first half, we knew that it just had to be Jordan Rhodes who broke the deadlock to put Middlesbrough into the lead with just 20 minutes left to play. However, we were relentless that season, and in the second minute of added time, following Matt Taylor's corner, Michael Keane was in the right place to somehow force a shot in for an equaliser. That goal led to a mass celebration on the pitch, and unleashed an incredible roar from the Turf Moor faithful, who by now had realised that this team were special, and never knew when they were beaten. After the match, Sean Dyche said, I'm really pleased with the whole group tonight for the mentality. That's an important game. You go 1-0 down, that can defuel you. Not for us. We just kept on and on, and eventually they cracked. It all ended okay, but a different result that night might have changed the course of the season, with Borough and Brighton so strong in the latter stages of the campaign. But Burnley were made of sterner stuff, and went on to be crowned champions, which meant another promotion back to the promised land of the Premier League. Dave, yeah, that was a that was one of those atmospheres that you you never forget when that equaliser went in from Michael Keane. Uh, I've got a good story on that, Tom. That that, yeah. that game. So I was um, working in London at, at the time, you know, in, in my first year as a teacher, and they let me finish an hour early so I could go so so I could go to the game. So about and I was working in East London, so a long way away. Drove from East London for the game and then straight back that that night got got home at about because there was roadworks on the M6 and the M1 got home at about five o'clock and two hours sleep and I was back up uh, for work in the morning so the turf was literally rocking when it when that uh, keen goal went in so yeah really really spe- even though I, I was I was tired the next day but really special game that and I think that was, I think if we lost that game I, I don't think we'd have gone up top two so yeah you know a wonderful memory memory yeah. Yeah, I think people knew that as well. When it when it had gone in, we, we were taking a big stride towards automatic promotion. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's a, a great one to be able to draw on. Moving on then to the opposition view. 
uh, we like to hear what the opposition are thinking. I think it'll be a very interesting one, actually, especially for Finsborough with uh, with how much things have changed since Michael Carrick came in. I'm very interested to see what his teams play like, and hopefully we'll get a bit of an insight now from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Hello, guys. Johnny here from the Borough Breakdown podcast. I'm here to give you a Middlesbrough perspective of our game on Saturday at Turf Moor and league leaders Burnley are absolutely flying but Bora are flying as well with four wins in the last five games under Michael Carrick and it, to be honest since the managerial change from Wilder to Carrick Bora have become a much more stable team Carrick's came in he showed his good personal skills of understanding the players on and off the pitch he's got good judgement and not trying to give these players too much analysis paralysis and you can see that on the pitch the players are going there with confidence and knowing exactly what they need to do to try and get a result and that shows uh, with tactical flexibility as well because Borough have been able to adjust the way they play ever so slightly for each team but the one principle from Michael Carrick so far is always attack the space and that's where I think Borough will try and aim up early uh, at the weekend you know Vincent Company he likes to have that possession based football and create uh, quite a wide pitch and if he just if the players do give it away I think that's how Borough will strike um, if we do get a result on Saturday but in terms of our season so far um, Chris Wilder couldn't get us going and ever since that Burnley link things just haven't been the same and he left the building knowing that he could have been getting the Bournemouth job but didn't get it in the end but as, in terms of Carrick and what he's done differently he's moved us to a back four we're playing a 4-2-3-1 at the moment he's introduced Ian Hayden Hackney from uh, the academy into that centre defensive midfield role with Johnny House and he's absolutely flourished. Um, he's a really good ball uh, ball carrier and likes to get Borough on the front foot and getting us playing. But players to look out for, apart from Hayden Hackney, Ryan Giles on that left-hand side, Isaiah Jones on the right, um, the right-hand side, Giles is more of a left-back, Jones is more of a right-winger. Ryan McGree had a really good World Cup with Australia and he's played in that left attack midfield role. But one player I think you should look out for is Chuba Akpom. Nine goals this season for Borough, top goal scorer in the championship. And he came from absolutely out the cold. He was at Panathinaikos uh, Ake uh, in Greece last year and he's came back and he absolutely flourished under Michael Carrick. But it's going to be a really difficult game for us. You know, we're going to try and probably sit in. We'll try and get you on the break. But we do like to play a bit of possession football ourselves. I feel like if we get our foothold in the game, we can make things really difficult for Burnley. You guys having Burn uh, Cullen suspended is a big, big win for us because I think Cullen for you guys has been absolutely tremendous this season. But, I mean, we have to worry about Nathan Teller, Goodmanson, Rodriguez, Matson Brownell. You know, it's going to be a really difficult test for us. But I'm going to go in there. I think we're going to draw one all and hopefully we can maybe sneak something as well and make it four wins on the spin away from home. But, guys, thank you very much for having me on. All the best for the rest of the season. I'm a big fan of Vincent Company because I do follow on Delect as well and he did really well, really well with us last year. Um, but hopefully we can try and snatch something at the weekend instead. But guys, thank you very much for having me on. There we go. Thank you very much to the Borough Breakdown podcast for that. Moving on to the referee. And uh, Dave's written a lovely little blurb here. And I'm, I'm choosing to to read this in maybe a less cynical tone than, than intended. Uh, but Davis pointed out that taking charge of Saturday's match is a referee who is based in Stanley in County Durham. So we're talking the North East. Uh, I don't want to come across like an Arsenal fan, but an interesting coincidence maybe, although he does go on to say that David Webb, who was Saturday's ref, was a Sunderland fan as a youngster, so maybe actually it'll benefit us. He's been a football ref football league referee since 2008. In terms of past Burnley games, he's taken charge of eight before this weekend, and five of those ended in victory for the Clarets. 
In his four previous matches at Turf Moor, there have been three Burnley wins and a draw, which was earlier this season, as he was the man in the middle when we drew 1-1 against Stoke City in October. I think that was the game before the Coventry game that we were speaking about earlier. David Webb hasn't shown any red cards in any of his previous Burnley matches, and his only red cards in other matches so far this season were all shown in an event for the last 15 minutes in the match at Bramall Lane between Sheffield United and Blackpool in October. Four players received their marching orders, one from Sheffield United and three from Blackpool in a match which eventually finished 3-3. So he's not averse to giving the teams who were in the top two a bit of a, a bit of a helping hand, so hopefully that will come in handy on Saturday. So coming on to Saturday then, as I said earlier, um, I don't know that much really of what to expect um, from Middlesbrough. Uh, obviously they've shot up the table a bit since Chris Wilder left. From what I hear, they're, they're, it's kind of a, they were a little bit unlucky to be where they were under Wilder and perhaps they're just getting a bit more of the rubber green now. Have you seen much of them, Rich? What are you expecting? What are you thinking for, for Saturday? No, in terms of playing style, I'm not 100% sure. You'd have to, in my, I don't want to stereo, you know, um, be stereotypical, so I do apologise to any Middlesbrough middles, middles fans listening, but I would have thought they'd have played quite nice football on, under Carrick, you know, a new manager. Um, you know, you tend to... Younger managers want you know don't want to play as direct. And I'm just looking at some of the you know the stats are and they are top of the form table. You know they're above us for the last five games and I think they've only lost like one in the last seven. Um, so I, I expect it to be a really tough and challenging game. I think with a the squad they've got, I expect Mills. I'm not saying they will get in the playoffs because they've got a lot of catching up to do, but I expect they'll you know as you said, Tom, they will start climbing the table towards the playoffs. So. I expect um, a tougher game than, than QPR, put it that way. But at the same time, the way we're playing, we shouldn't fear anybody. You know, I, I, I do think we're the best side in the division. And I expect, you know, our record at Turf Moor recently has been fantastic. Not lost, not lost there at home this season. So you've got to fancy us having, 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 having you. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, I must say I'm feeling pretty confident in general at the minute. I'm sure at one point it's going to be, my bubble's going to get burst in a big way, but especially at home at the minute. We're looking pretty unbeatable. What would you pick in terms of the team? Do you make any changes from QPR? Are you just freshening things up? Does Benton come back in? Well, Are you still the final chill enough? Well, I'm going to... We was really crazy in government at the start of the podcast, and rightly so, but I think at home, I'd like to see Benton starting, if I'm being honest. Uh, it's a real, real conundrum, isn't it, with Benton? You know, because he's been so fantastic off the bench, but then you've seen him when he started at Sheffield United, he's got, well... Definitely scored one, maybe scored two with a lucky deflection, and you kind of think you might against a better side, you might want to go from it from the start. But if you played the same team and brung Benson off the bench, it, it wouldn't. I'd be quite happy with that. I don't think Chirk Twine and Chirlinov are quite ready for a start as of yet. Um, but I think that'll only. I think that'll be the only decision company will have to make is as soon as he's starting Goodmanson's position, unless there's been any. Other injuries that we don't know about. I thought company would have had his press conference today, as it's a Thursday, but I don't know if he's had a bit of time off or whatever. So I presume his press conference will be tomorrow. So I'll have a bit of an uh, update if there's been any injuries. But no, yeah, for me, I'd pick Benson. But at the same time, I wouldn't be too uh, despondent if Gunmanson was starting. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of England at the World Cup. It's like there's so many good options in those positions. Yeah. That- he starts. I don't think there's not a massive amount between them. I think you're happy to see whoever, and you know that you've got brilliant options to bring off the bench if uh, if you need them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm of the same mind there. I'm happy with with whoever he starts, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him change team after how well we played on uh, on Saturday on Sunday. One, well, one player we've not mentioned too, who sounds like he's very close to fitness, is Westwood. 
And I don't think you can underestimate, you know, he's still a very good player, Westwood, and especially at this level. And I think he'll quite enjoy playing under company and not just having to do them channel balls, which he was clearly instructed to do time after time. And I think we have, we have seen when one of Cork or Cullen goes out. I do like Bastion. I think he's a good player, but I think he lacks a little bit of physicality in that area. And then when Brownell goes back there, you lose a lot of what he's been doing well this season. So I think that's, you know, that that's another player who we, I just forgot to mention, it's just come to my mind at the start of just, just now. So yeah, that squad's looking really good. Yeah, I think Westwood's skill set is really going to suit the way we're playing at the minute. I Definitely. Kind of players ping it around and like you say, like you said with Cork and Cullen, just busy and shuttling and disrupting. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him in this team as well. So before we leave you for this week, we've got one more uh, entry from the Bank of Dave, and that is the uh, well, Natalie always refers to it as the miscellaneous start of the week, which I I always thought was a very catchy title. So over to Dave with this week's miscellaneous start of the week. Burnley remain unbeaten in the league at Turf Moor this season, with seven wins and four draws in Championship home games since Vincent Company took over in the summer. That run actually stretches to 24 unbeaten home games in the Championship when you include the second half of the 2015-16 season. And going back a little bit further, Burnley have only lost four of the last 61 Championship matches which have taken place at Turf Moor since April 1st 2013. This extended period takes into account the last month of Sean Dyche's first season in charge, as well as the whole of the 2013-14 and 2015-16 campaigns, in addition to the first half of the current season. I've been really enjoying hearing these stats about how good we are in the Championship. Uh, it's not very often you put like two or three promotion seasons back-to-back, so these stats are coming out, coming out really... Uh, really nice at the minute and obviously we've been so good this season as well and uh, and it leads us nicely onto the quiz question there's no FPL this week obviously with the Premier League not being back but listen out for that soon so this week's quiz question uh, we've already mentioned in our start of the week that Burnley are unbeaten in 11 league games at Turf Moor so far this season as well as our last 13 championship home games of 2015-16 but can you name the last four clubs to beat Burnley in a championship match at Turf Moor we're going back we're going back some way I'd say for that I don't want to give any clues or anything but that's uh, that's not a lot easier than last week and, and I struggled with last week uh, you can get in touch with us the usual ways uh, if you're going to tweet us then do please DM uh, rather than sending a tweet just because obviously then other people can't see your answers um, DM us or, or email us um, and we will give you the answer to that on the preview show for I think we should be uh, time for a minute in we should be able to get one out for the Manchester United game uh, on Wednesday. Um, uh, or at least we'll do an analysis. And if we don't have the full preview, then maybe we can roll that over to for the next league game. Thank you very much. Have you got any closing thoughts, Rich? In fact, we'd best do a prediction because I noticed actually Statman Dave has supplied us with his own prediction this week. Uh, he has gone for a 2-1 win uh, and he's gone for Jay Rodriguez and Nathan Teller as goal scorers. Uh, what about yourself, Rich? Are you, are you optimistic, confident? Yeah, I'm confident. Yeah, I'm going to go three-one. Um, you know, I just we're just scoring at the moment. I'm when we look, we look really good. So three-one. Um, I'll go Brownhill. He's not got one in a while. I'm going to go Benson. I'll get one off the bench. Because um, no, off from the start maybe because I said he will start. And yeah, I think I think Jay's due a goal as well. I think we're going to get a penalty. 
It's a free one. Very good. Very good. Yeah, like you say, I think with the top scorers in the football league now, the top scorers in England. Um, so, uh, like you say, every game you, you're rocking up and expecting some goals. So, I could see it being another thriller. Do you know what? Uh, let's go mad. Let's go 4 nil. Nice. 4 nil. Tom, That's... you are in a good mood. <laughs> Nearly you Christmas. Enjoy that GPR game, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 4-0. Uh, Rodriguez hat-trick. How about that? Rodriguez hat-trick, 4-0. Nice. And then uh, Barnes to come on and just put one in off his arse as well. <laughs> Lovely. Well, let's hope that comes to pass. Uh, don't forget as well, you can always get in touch with us with your predictions. Uh, same place at another podcast. And that is it for this week. Thank you very much to Rich for joining me. Thank you very much to the Borough Breakdown Podcast. Thank you very much to Statman Dave. Thank you very much to producer Matt for knitting it all together. And thank you very much for listening at home. I've been Tom Whitehead and this has been the Nin and Never Podcast. The Nin and Never Podcast is brought to you in association with the Talk Sport Fan Network. Natalie Bromley is the host and editor and the show is produced by Matt Moss. Our resident statistician is Dave Roberts and our FPL expert is Adam Dennett. The analysis show team is collectively Tom Whitaker, Richard Steele, George Poole, Charlotte Rigby, Adam Dennett and Robbie Kopak. Our music is provided by George Gaskill and our newsletter team is headed up by Jamie Smith. If you don't already, you can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting nonadnever.substack.com. Our thanks as ever go to our partners TalkSport. We are as ever proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.